Well, it is the week of Christmas, and uh, it is the, uh, the last Sunday in our series, Rediscovering Christmas. We've talked about rediscovering the gift, rediscovering the reason, rediscovering the joy. This morning, I want to talk to you about rediscovering the Messiah. In, in, in John chapter 1, it says this in the 41st verse, we have found the Messiah, Messiah, the anointed one. It is a declaration that they make. It is, a, it is, it is not just a de- declaration that Andrew makes. He goes and tells Simon. It also, if you look at the beginning of the New Testament, if you look at Matthew chapter 1, it starts with the, the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one. How, how good at you are about waiting for a gift? How, how patient are you? I, look, I think about these packages back here. Once the gift is placed under the tree, how good at you are being patient and waiting to open that gift? You know, they say that the longest night of the year is December 22nd. Well, I tell you, when I was a child, the longest night of the year wasn't December 22nd, it was December 24th. We got to open one gift on Christmas Eve. That was our tradition. And the rest of the gifts we opened on Christmas Day. We got to open one gift on Christmas Eve when anyone liked to guess what that one gift always was. Pajamas, right. We all know the score. Mom, You're not giving us the one gift on Christmas Eve because you love us and you want us to experience the gift early. You're giving us the one gift on Christmas Eve to where the pictures look decent the next morning. Right? And so that that one gift, my daughter tells a story of one Christmas, we let our children open up one gift on Christmas Eve and we wanted them to open up a box about this size. And uh, they were convinced that they were getting some new video games for Christmas. And she knew that the box that, that, that was the bigger gift was pajamas. And so she was like, no, I want to open up that small box. And we're like, you don't want to open that box. No, no, I want to open up this box. She was convinced that we were playing her. And she opened up that one box and Lauren, what was it? It was a book. <laughs> yeah, it was a pair of j for children, which she might have appreciated later, but on Christmas Eve, she wasn't so much into the pair of j for children. That's not what a child wants to open on Christmas Eve. I never got the prayer of Jabez for children. I always got pajamas. And then I would have to wait and wait and wait. And that night seemed to go on forever. And so you would, you would be there in the dark in anticipation. That's what the children of Israel experienced. They waited in the dark in anticipation. In fact, I want you to do this. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to open them to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And we're going to go to the last part of the last book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4, it says this. It says, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will stumble. and, and, And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord. Not a root or a branch will be left, but for you who revere my name, 
The son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. Malachi is writing about the last days. He's writing about the reality that there's a heaven to gain, that there's a hell to shun. And he also, he, he speaks prophetically about this gift that God gives. Notice, he makes a statement, but for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And for, for this people, for this culture, they understood that when it speaks of the son of righteousness, that it's speaking of the anticipated one, the anointed one, or what they would regularly talk about, they would regularly talk about the Messiah. From the time that this is written, Malachi wrote this in about 430 BC, 400 years passes. It is the darkest of night. This is what makes what makes the babe being born in Bethlehem so significant at that point in history. Because it's what they had longed for, it's what they had anticipated, it's what they talked about. And it shouldn't come as a surprise. And the reason it shouldn't come as a surprise is, is notice this. It says that not only will God faithfully send the Messiah, but before he sends the Messiah, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children, the hearts of their children to the parents. And it speaks of this prophet Elijah. Now what I want you to do is I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to Luke chapter one. And in Luke chapter one, it tells us, it tells us this. Starting in verse number five. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Now he was startled and gripped with fear. Why? Because friends, it has been 400 years. It's been 400 years since there's inner recording of God speaking. It's been 400 years since an angel has appeared to anyone it, 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 that we see in recorded history. It is the time between the Testaments, and it's a time where it seems like God has gone dark. And so, for an angel of the Lord to appear, this is something that is at any time, it's extraordinary, but with 400 years of silence, it's overwhelming. And, and what happens after 400 years of silence? The last thing that we hear, the last prophetic word that we hear is this, is that the Son of Righteousness is coming. And before the Son of Righteousness comes, before the Messiah comes, that he's going to send a forerunner, that he's going to send a prophet that will declare that the time is coming, that will declare the Messiah has come. 
400 years later, an angel of the Lord appears. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You're to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It is the fulfillment of the prophecy that we see the last time God spoke. And what is it? It's a statement that your son is gonna be the one who declares that the Messiah has come. It is what Israel has waited for. It's what they've talked about. It's what they've longed for for 400 years. And yet, and yet, when the babe is born in Bethlehem, when the, when the Messiah comes forth and he is there in the manger, so many miss it. How could they have missed it? When, when Zechariah comes out of the, of the inner room, that they know that something's happened. When when John the Baptist is born, there's a large crowd that is gathered around. When it comes time for the child to be consecrated, they recommend that the, that the child be named after his father, Zechariah. And the, his, the mother, Elizabeth, speaks and says, because Zechariah, uh, he can't speak because he didn't listen to God. Elizabeth speaks and says, his name shall be called John. And they said, why would you name him John? There's nobody in your family whose name is John. And, and, and Zechariah asks for something to write on and he, he writes, his name is John. And as he writes, his name is John, he's able to speak. And in that moment, with that large crowd gathered, Zechariah prophesies. And he talks about what his son is and, and what the angel of the Lord has revealed to him. And the fact that the time of the long-awaited Messiah has come. And yet, another generation misses it. It's 30 years. It's another 30 years before Andrew declares, we have found the Messiah. Why is it? Why is it that, that so many miss the Messiah? The reason that so often we miss the Messiah is because what we mistakenly expect the Messiah to do. You see, there are those that are, that are very far from God today because they have this misunderstanding about who God is and they have this misrepresentation of what it is that Jesus brings. There are some that are even watching via media today that they've, they've bought into this misconception that, that God is this angry ogre waiting for you to do something wrong. That way he can zap you, that way he can punish you. There are also so many that, that live lives in disappointment because they've been convinced that, that, that we serve a Santa Claus God. That all we have to do is write something down on the list and, and he'll give it. 
And because life hasn't been perfect and because they haven't gotten everything that they wanted, if God is real, then why did this happen? If God is real, then why did grandma die? If God is real, why did I face this difficulty? If God is real. Because they they mistakenly believe that the Messiah is the deliverer of all our desires. Even, Even the followers of Jesus got confused about this. And James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him and said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Isn't that, isn't that so often the approach that we have as we come to God? God, your word says that we can ask anything in your name and it shall be given. This is great. This is better than Aladdin and the magic lamp. Because God, the way that I interpret this scripture, I don't just get three wishes. Right? If you were to find Aladdin's magic lamp and you were given three wishes, what would your first wish be for? Yeah, an unlimited amount of wishes, right? Come on. No, you can't wish that. Well, I don't see where that's in the rules. Unfortunately, unfortunately, that's the, the mistaken understanding that we have when we read when, when Jesus says, ask anything in my name. Ask anything in my name. And yet we know this, that his word says this, you have not because you ask not, and when you ask, you ask for the wrong motives. While he is Jehovah Jireh, the God that does supply, and his divine nature has already given you everything that you need for life and godliness, he is not, never has been, never will be a glorified Santa Claus. And unfortunately, we, we buy into this idea or that he's to provide for our personal agenda. And James and John come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Jesus, already knowing their heart, he still asks the question. He says, what is it that you want? And they replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other sit on your left in glory. God, you exist to make my life work. And when we, when we operate with that confusion about the Messiah, see, the, the Messiah, the Messiah is the anointed one. The Messiah is the deliverer. To, to deliver us from the bondage of sin and the curse of death. And to deliver us from from that bondage to freedom of healthy relationship, healthy relationship with God the Father, healthy relationships with one another, and the destiny that God has for us. And God's plan for you, friend, God's plan for you is far greater than your desires could ever create. And so when we understand what the gift of the Messiah is, It makes all the difference in the world. Gifts. Gifts. I have have on the podium today, I have some gifts that I've received. This is the first Bible that I ever received. It's a red letter edition. 
It's got a zipper. It used to have a cross on the zipper. Uh, but one of my siblings took the cross and made a necklace out of it that they, that they lost. So I'm not bitter. <laughs> so this is King James Version, right? So it's good enough for the Apostle Paul. It's good enough for me. I received this Bible when I was eight years old. It's got my, it's got my name embossed on here. So for those of you that, that uh, know my story, you know this, that um, growing up, I wasn't known as Ed, I was known as Butch, and there's a whole, there's a whole story to that, but, but I was known, so Butch Garvin. And actually, that's what, I, that's what I went, that was the name I went by all the way through high school. Uh, and then um, when, I, when, I, when I got out of college, and, and actually when I stepped from college into ministry, I thought, Pastor Butch, that just doesn't Hey, listen, if you're here and your name is Butch, it's a cool name. I loved it, man. It was, and people were, like, even before people met me growing up, you know, as a kid, they were, they were fearful of me because people aren't real fearful of Edwin, but Butch, you know. Butch, sound, doesn't that sound like the name of somebody that could beat you up, right? Which that wasn't my way. I was a lover, not a fighter, but it still, it worked for me. I, uh, I was pretty irritated when I got this. Can I tell you, an eight-year-old it's rare that an eight-year-old is going to be excited about receiving a Bible. And yet, this Bible, I, I can't tell you how many times when I was going through difficulty during my, my pre-adolescent years and into my adolescent years that I would, I would take this Bible and I would open it. And I would look for hope. And I would, I would pray the words that I would find in different places in this book. Even in a, even in a time in my life in my early teen years, it was pretty dark. When I was a teenager, I, I um, to, to mask the pain that I was dealing with, with, with the loss of a father and just a lot of dysfunction in our home, uh, I was drunk more than I was sober. But even in the midst of it, I, I, I would go back to this, this book, this this gift that probably if you would ask me as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old, even, even in my early teen years, had you asked me about the worst gift that I ever received, I would say this, right? As a kid, really? This, is, this was my big gift that year. You know why my mom bought it for me? Because um, I was going to church, uh, but the big reason I was going to church is because um, my best friend, David Lane, was the pastor's son. So we would go hang out and get in trouble. My, my best gift that I ever received is, interestingly, it's also a Bible. I, Jody gave this to me in, um, in 1989. And uh, she wrote this. She wrote, sweetheart, I'm so proud of you. I want you to remember my love and admiration for you every time you use this Bible. This is my, this is my preaching Bible. And as I, as, I, as I just flip through pages, it's just, it's notes after notes after notes after notes. Just thoughts that God had given me in a moment encouraging, challenging, uh, truly inspiring things. It's, 
it's starting to fall apart. And uh, man, I'm super careful with it. Um, I wish I had been more careful with it earlier. It's been all over the world. I don't know, I don't know how many hundreds and even thousands of times I've, I've held this Bible and stood before somebody and declared the Word of God. It's the, it's the same gift. It's the, what I believe to be the worst gift that I ever received and the best gift that I ever received. It's all perspective, isn't it? It's easy to miss what God wants to bring into your life. And in that moment when Zechariah declares that the son of righteousness, the son of righteousness, that's what's interesting. In in Zechariah's prophecy, he prophesies. There in Luke chapter 1, he prophesies about the son of righteousness. Listen Listen to Zechariah's song. Praise be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he had said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and remember his holy covenant, the oath he had swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and, and, and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, he's prophesying over his son, John, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. Zechariah's prophecy is the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4. John the Baptist is the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4. And the last time God speaks to the next time he speaks in a recorded fashion, it speaks of this son of righteousness, the Messiah. For the religious in Jesus' day, he was an annoyance. But for those whose heart was open, he was an unmistakable, undeniable, incomparable gift. Let me take you to one more portion of Scripture this morning. John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we see the story, and this morning I'm not going to Read it from my electronic Bible. I'm going to turn in my favorite Bible. In John chapter 4, it tells us that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. 
So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a... When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? You see, his disciples had gone into town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from himself, as did also his sons and flocks and herds? Jesus answered and said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go back and call your husband. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place to worship must be in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. The salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seek. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman, I, the woman then said, I know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, I who speak to you am he. It's the first time that Jesus says, I am the anointed one. I am the Messiah. I am the deliverer. And why is it that he chooses to reveal that in overt fashion to a Samaritan woman at the well. Here's the reason why, because she understood the true gift of the Messiah. And here's what the Messiah offers you today. It's restoration of of right relationship. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? We live in a time where there's so much There's so much dissension. There's so much disconnect. We live in a time where anger is rampant and relationships are surface. But what God brings, even as we we recognized, honored, received, and celebrated new members, this idea of relationship and relationship that has depth to it, beyond cursory understanding, beyond religious formula, beyond habit or road experience, a depth of relationship that has impact. 
The Samaritan woman recognized in her interaction with Jesus that there was a relational connect happening that outside of super, something supernatural does not take place. And friend, what God wants to do is God wants to bring into your life restoration of relationship. First, that vertical relationship, the relationship between you and God. And then once that relationship is established, restoration of horizontal relationships, the relationships that you have with the people around you. And then he wants to see you connect to the world to show the reality of who he is in a life-changing way. See, that's what the Messiah brings. The Messiah brings a restoration of healthy relationship. He also brings provision for your deepest need, provision of your real need. The woman says, I would like this water. (laughs) Jesus, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you that living water. The Messiah brings relief from our burdens. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here drawing this water over and over again. Here's my my favorite. As I look at the story of the Samaritan woman, her recognition that Jesus is the Messiah. He doesn't just bring restoration of relationship. He doesn't just provide for real need and and relief of burdens. He brings freedom. Freedom. What was that woman's burden that day? That woman's burden was that she carries a water jar. She carries a water jar. She goes to the well during the heat of the day. She goes to the well in the heat of the day because she she wants to somehow hopefully miss the scorn of the other women from the village because of the hard life that she has lived. You see, they berate her because she's had five husbands and the man she's now living with won't even give her his name. She's a woman that seems to have no identity and she's disconnected from society. And and Jesus reaches in to her deepest anxiety touches it, not in condemnation, but brings real hope and peace. Tells us here in John's gospel in John chapter four, it says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? She knew, she knew. In her heart, the depth of her soul, she knew that this is what Messiah is really all about. Messiah is not about granting our every desire like Aladdin and its magic lamp. Messiah is not about pointing, every, pointing out every wrong thing that you've ever done. Messiah is not about somehow making your personal agenda come to fruition. But here's what Messiah is about. Messiah is about the restoration of right relationship, having those real needs being met, and living in true freedom. And this woman that was disconnected from society and seemed to live without hope in this interaction that she has with Jesus at the well, she goes back and she reconnects to society and she says, listen, This man knows me, and something's changed in me that I'm willing to come with boldness and tell you, you've got to come and see this guy because I have a 
feeling that this guy is the Messiah. And Jesus today wants you to understand that that's the gift of Christmas. That's the gift of Messiah, that you can walk in right relationship, that you can understand your real needs are met, and that there's freedom from all the burdens and all the ugh, of the world. Won't you, won't you fully embrace the Messiah today? For some of you, it means this. It means finally pushing past religion. And you're here faithfully. Most Sundays you're here, you're in that same spot. You give your offering in the offering plate, you listen to a sermon. But you've never said, God, you are the Messiah the deliverer. And God, I received that gift today of deliverance. Deliverance from the bondage of sin and deliverance to the eternal destiny that you have for me. Here's what God's word says. It says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to deliver us. So the anointed one does. He's a deliverer, that he delivers us from all unrighteousness. Because even though you come to church, you still deal with a lot of guilt. Guilt is not of God. The Bible says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. What God does operate in is God operates in conviction. And here's what conviction is. Conviction is the desire to change. Even as I prayed this morning in our pastor's prayer time, I prayed this prayer and I said, God, you recognize that I am not the man that I used to be, but I'm also not the man that I want to be. And can I tell you, as I prayed that prayer this morning, I didn't pray that prayer with condemnation. I didn't pray that prayer with guilt. I prayed that prayer because what God brings into my life, this conviction, it's this earnest desire to change. And God wants to set you free from your guilt this morning. Won't you let him do that? Won't you let him do that? For some of you, you, you're here this morning, but but you're kind of struggling in your relationship with God because it, it doesn't seem like God is answering your prayers. Children of Israel can relate to that 400 years, 400 years of darkness. It's a long time to wait. It's a long time to see that there's something wrapped under the tree, but you can't open it. And you know the promises of God, but it doesn't seem like the promises of God are, are taking place in your life. Well, God has brought you here this morning to bring you a new perspective of the Messiah, to bring a new understanding of what this gift is. And to say, how about you do this? How about you stop giving God your lists and say, God, what you wanna bring to me, what you wanna give to me, God, I I want the gift that you offer not the list that I present. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. 
thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.